world is becoming more unglued by the day. Local consequences are now showing up. We are seeing sky-high gas prices, higher food prices, shortages, and more. How should you respond? Go to redpills.tv slash patriot. That's R-E-D-P-I-L-L-S dot TV slash patriot. And secure your long-term emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is by far the largest preparedness company in America. They're in stock and shipping quickly in unmarked boxes to your door. Their emergency food supplies last up to 25 years in storage. When you need it, it'll be there. Lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks totaling over 2,000 calories a day. Get free shipping on any order over $99. Again, go to redpills.tv slash patreon. journey of Conversations on the Fringe. All right. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. My name is Josh. This is the Red Pill Project's Conversations on the Fringe. And give me one second. Uh, DLive had some problems last night and they disconnected us. So I'm trying to reconnect with them. And uh, no guests tonight. You guys got me the whole night. So this will just be fun, dandy. And a great conversation, hopefully, hopefully a good conversation. So let's uh, let's turn D Live on, see if this works. It's sending data. It's I'm waiting for it to say streaming. Transition to streaming, please. Transition to streaming, please. Transition to streaming. We'll see here in a second. It, it hasn't been playing all day. They said that it was fixed, and now it's looking like it's not fixed. And so it's just it's just hanging up. So if you're on D Live. Which you can't hear me. <laughs> um, let me see what's going on here. That, uh, trying to get it. Trying to get it. Give me a few more seconds. Let me see if I can do something here. Um, it doesn't matter what I do. Let me see. All right. Let me play around with DLive for just one second. Sorry about this, guys. Yeah, DLive had some technical difficulties last night. And I'm trying to get them back online. Maybe I have to log out, log back in. I don't know. It's uh, I'm trying to push it, trying to push it, seeing if we can get it to work. 
I know there's a lot of people um, probably on DLive waiting. Give me a second. And let's go here. Let's log out. We're going to log back in. See if that does it. Sometimes that just uh, that works like that. You got to reinitialize everything. I'm going to go ahead and delete this channel one more time and see if we can add it manually again. Oh, man. Uh, maybe maybe I have to go through the RTP, RTMP. Let, let me see here. Let me see if I can go here. Sorry about this delay, guys. Um, Usually I'd have someone else help me here with this, but he's got the night off. Oh no. And uh, let's go add channel. Let's go DLive one more time. Authorized. Let's see if this works. But tonight we're talking about um, philosophy. We're talking about the, the spiritual sciences philosophy. We're talking about life in general. And uh, it, it was interesting. So last night, we were on the After Dark chat. We had a special After Dark chat kind of Q&A last night. Uh, now it's saying, well, at least it's saying unable to connect now. <laughs> um, and we were talking and some spiritual questions came up, spiritual philosophy, that type of stuff. And I kind of went into a, uh, a, a long kind of description of kind of my thoughts on things. And, and with that, I, I, I said some things. And when I said some things, I mean, these are things that I believe that I believe for a long time and that I've researched and kind of developed my own theories upon. Um, and, and yay and I were going back and forth. And then all of a sudden today, um, I see some videos out there on the Nobel Prize given for physics. And I was shocked because the Nobel Prize in physics was given for quantum entanglement. But that's not necessarily what they proved with their theoretical model. Basically, what they proved with their theoretical model was the exact same thing that I said last night, which I was like, whoa. And we didn't have a guest lined up. I was going to ask a few people to come on. But like, you know what? I can do this myself. I can do this myself. We'll be fine. Um, looking on DLive. Sorry, guys. I'm going to go ahead and, and, and spread the uh, YouTube link to... Oh, no, 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 not yet, not yet, not yet. Wrong one, wrong one. Almost ended the stream. That would have been bad. Go ahead and put the YouTube link there. We're going to put the Rumble link there. Um, yeah, DLive's not working for some reason. So there for, uh, for you guys in DLive. Let me just say not working. Please use Alt. So basically what happened on DLive last night before I get into philosophy and everything like that is that um, they had a, a technical error where the streams were hanging up and just continuously playing. And the only way to end those streams was to basically suspend all the users. So after they suspended me, I made sure and said, hey, am I unsuspended? Um, it looks like I'm not. <laughs> so um, but I didn't do anything wrong. There's nothing that we did wrong. Um we're just waiting for them to add our channel back in. They'll probably do that when this technical issue is resolved. Um, so I, I don't know what else to say to that. Um, if I could find an RT, uh, RTMP feed, it would make it a lot easier. I'm, I'm looking for that kind of right now. Um, system, DM, no, don't want to do that. Okay, not in settings. Let's go here. Uh, 
video, my channel. That's where we just were. Yeah, there's no way to really do an RTMP. Uh, they, they should have it like right here, I thought, but I, I guess not. I mean, I could just set it up manually, but I don't have the RMTP. Actually, maybe maybe that'll give it to me. Um, encoding server information. Okay, uh, please make sure that your keyframe, okay. Regenerate server URL. Um, maybe, maybe this will work. Maybe, maybe I can get this up with this. Give me one second. Let me, let me see if I can do this real quick. Boom. We're going to do that. We're going to go like this and add channel. Let me see if this works. We'll see if it works for D livers. Sorry guys. Let me, I, I know we're like, come on, Josh, let's get started here. I know, I know, I know. And see if that, oh, look at that. It worked. It can work. Damn genius. I think it worked. It says streaming. I don't know what I'm streaming to. <laughs> oh, if your channel has been stuck online, please ignore the automated D live channel has been restricted email. Well, obviously. Um, is so is D live working? So let's say is D live working now. It still says I'm not streaming, so I don't know where I'm streaming to. Um, stream information. Look at that. That's all good. Um, save. How do I how do I do that? Huh? Open D Live protocol. Maybe that's what. Hmm. Okay. Well, D Live's not working, so I apologize. I thought I thought I could get it with that. That's not going to work. So we'll get started here in just one second. I wanted to. We got it. We got a good following on D Live, so I wanted to give that and the benefit of the doubt. See if we could get it. Um, I'm going to have to open up a travel ticket with D Live and um, see what we can do with them to see if uh, they can get our account back up and running because obviously it's not working um but how are you all doing tonight and, and so we can still do kind of a uh, a q a if you guys are interested in that so i mean if you guys have questions during this please ask those questions right there my mods will go ahead and give this out to me um oh look at that we're streaming on d live okay so d live is back up now Yay, congratulations. All right, DLive is back up. We are on DLive now. Fantastic. See, I'm, I mean, I know how to fix things. I can just fix things. It's, it's cool. It's great. All right, let's get going here. So tonight, in lieu of this uh, Nobel Prize in physics, I wanted to talk about this specifically. So I'm going to go ahead and play this video. Okay, this video is... Um, it's a TikTok video of this guy explaining what the um, Nobel Prize in Physics was just given for, okay? And so I'm going to go ahead and play this video, and then we're going to jump in and talk about it, and we're going to get into what this was all about and what we were talking about last night. And I'm going to delve into a lot of different spiritual philosophy, a lot of different what I call the con uh, unfolding consciousness or the conscious unfolding, unfoldment, unfoldment theory, and, and kind of how I wrap my 
my mind around all this after studying various different contemporary philosophies for a long time. So let's go ahead and watch this. If you can't hear the uh, the audio, let me know. I'll, I'll go ahead and get it started. But let's go ahead and start this. The Nobel Prize in Physics this year is going to groups of scientists who figured out that the universe, quote, isn't real. And before you get clickbaited by other people, I want to kind of try to explain in layman's terms what this means. They actually proved two things. First thing that they showed is that the universe isn't local. So locality means imagine we have two people. We assume that the only things that matter to them are their immediate surroundings and that if these two people want to send a message between each other, it will take a time that is distance based on the speed of light. So they can't instantaneously send messages to each other. You have to go based on the speed of light. But in the quantum universe, if you take two particles that are quantumly entangled by each other and you move them as far apart as you want, you can make this like 20 light years. If you were to observe the spin, which is just an inherent property, it doesn't actually mean the direction they're spinning, the spin of this particle and the entangled particle at the same time, they will impact each other. So if you were to look at this particle from one person and find out that it has what is called an upspin, then instantaneously this particle will get a downspin. It will not take 20 light years for this particle to receive the message that this one is up. This one is up, therefore this one is down, and that's just how it is. So from the quantum perspective, the universe is not local because even though these particles are not near each other and within their own surroundings, it doesn't matter. They can impact each other no matter how far apart they are. Now, as for the universe not being real, well, remember when I said that we measure the particle to find out whether it's up or down? Well, you might be wondering, well, isn't it just up or down? It, that's just how it is. We don't need to measure it. Well, that would be the idea of real, is that this particle has some inherent property that makes it up and down, and that, well, maybe we're just not measuring for all the variables. And if there's some unknown thing that we can measure for, we would know whether this is up or down. So this is kind of like the Schrodinger's cat experiment or thought experiment where you have the cat in a box and it's either alive or dead. And you say that the probability is one half alive, one half dead. And we just don't know. And maybe we can measure something else. And we can see, oh, is the box vibrating? And that's how we know if the cat's alive or dead. Well, it was shown by this one uh, physicist who came up with these set of inequalities that pretty much told you if there was like some quantum fuck shit going on. And these inequalities have now been experimentally verified. And it turns out that this is not the case at all. There is no underlying hidden variable or hidden mechanism that will tell you whether or not the particle is up or down or the cat is alive or dead. And in the term of the Schrodinger's cat thought experiment, this means that the cat actually just is not alive or dead until you observe it. It is not like we just don't know what it is. It is dead ass, just one half probability it is alive, one half probability it is dead, and it is existing in a state of limbo until you measure it. Okay. <clears throat> so what does that mean? If you remember something known as the double slit experiment back in the early 1900s, a lot of people in the spiritual community have talked about this in the sense of the observation of a particle and how the particle is going to interact when observed and when not observed or when measured and not measured. Measured and observation are kind of the same thing here. Um, then we have Schrodinger's cat. It, you know, a cat is put into a box with a pill of poison that has an atomic decay. Um, and the question is, is, is the cat alive or dead when the poison begins to leak out? The, it's improbable until you observe what the cat is. And basically what this physicist who just got the Nobel Prize 
determined through studying quantum entanglement. He came up with a series of, of logic equations. Um, and what he determined, which was scientifically verified, is that the universe itself, okay, the universe itself is in a probabilistic state, which means that if there's nothing observing it, it doesn't, it, it exists in a, a, a quasi probabilistic state. And that only when something observes it, does it manifest into reality. And so this is something that the spiritual community has talked about for a very long time. And that science apparently is just getting caught up on. Um, the, the quantum entanglement aspect of this is really cool. And I don't think anybody ever expected that with quantum entanglement, um, that this would become a reality in the sense of quantum entanglement. How does that work? Um, when two particles come together, they basically, um, there, there is a mechanism within the universe when two particles come together of where they kind of resonate together in some way, shape or form. And they're connected forever through all of existence because of that connection. And so it doesn't matter how far apart that you separate those particles. If one is manipulated in a certain direction, the other will always be the opposite direction. So kind of like a dipole. Um, now we can utilize this for our benefit in many different ways. Um, when you start talking about data transference, quantum computing, quantum computing, um, quantum cryptography, um, this is a, a massive technological uh, breakthrough. The reason is, is because you can add a third particle into the equation, which acts as kind of an actuator for one particle. And so you can change the state of this one particle, and then it manipulates the state of one other particle, of which manipulates the state of the third particle, which is separated at a distance. Anyways, the idea here, this is what we were talking about last night. Last night, we were talking about, in a sense, the nature of reality, how reality operates and works. And, and if you ever delved into spiritual or occult sciences, um, you'll start to realize that between all the allegory and the symbology, what they're really talking about is they're talking about you, your inner being, and that relationship of that inner being with what we would call God, as well as its environment. And, and that's really kind of how it all wraps up. And, and then relationships between us is that's what spirituality is really talking about, is the nature of reality. Um, a, a few things. Now, in modern science, there's there's a lot of um, different theoretical models. Now, I think that majority of these are probably wrong in perspective, but right in context. Um, what does that mean? Well, they're all explained and derived through mathematics. Now, if you ask a scientist, he'll tell you that mathematics is the language of the universe, that we didn't invent it, we discovered it. I disagree with that. We invented mathematics. And what we what mathematics is, is a symbolic representation of the patternization of the universe or the fractal nature of the universe. What do I mean by that? Is throughout the universe, you have this, this, this evolution of various repeating patterns over and over and over again. They're seen everywhere. They're, they're within you. The construct of who and what you are are developed upon these. Things like pi, phi, right? These types of mathematical constants, which we discover, are simply 
various patterns and relationships that come about in the unfoldment of the universe and how we describe or explain them is with a symbolic attribute known as mathematics. Now, I would say that patterns or the, the fractal patterns are the language of the universe. That the universe is made up of, of repeat, and, and maybe pattern isn't the right word, but it, we can all understand what pattern is, right? And so when I look at the nature of the universe, what I see is I see repetition, I see resonance, I see patternization, I see structure, and I see intelligence. Now, when we look at reality in that context, and we look at mathematical mathematics as a model to describe that, that means that we have to understand that conceptualization to apply it in a mechanics, right? To bring about a mechanical formulation of how it all works. And this is where we derive quantum physics, molecular science, uh, you know, cosmology and all these things. And what I'm saying is that the context of the understanding of what mathematics actually is, is reason why that we're way off on the equation of what all these things are actually doing. You know, for the longest time at the end of the 1800s, of the 19th century, most physicists believed that they knew everything there was to know about modern day physics. Um, they had mastered Newtonian physics. Now, this is interesting because then two people came around. Um, one of the most famous ones, one of the most famous ones was James Clerk Maxwell, who developed electromagnetic wave theory. Um, and this is four different um, equations. The, the fourth one is still not even understood today about wave propagation. And, and this brought about kind of a whole different understanding of maybe how the nature of reality actually works. Well, another guy in the late 1800s that came around, his name was J.J. Thompson. And J.J. Thompson was the guy who discovered what we call today as the electron. Now, if you remember when Niels Bohr came out with the famous Bohr model of the atom and he had the electron as a particle rotating around, um, and this held on for like 80 years, that, that was completely untrue and false. And they knew this as early as J.J. Thompson, the guy who discovered it. J.J. Thompson's son recalls his father saying multiple times that an electron is not a particle, but instead a disturbed field. What does that mean? Well, what J.J. Thompson and what James Clerk Maxwell were trying to tell us is that at the quantum level, what's happening within an atom is not material in any way, shape, or form. That there's that subatomic sub particles aren't matter. They're not material. But instead, what they are are oscillations or vibrations or perturbations within a field. And when they perturbate the field, they produce a disturbance within that field of which the field reacts. And everything that's happening at the quantum level is derived from this understanding. Now, the interesting thing is, is these perturbations within the field, which we call matter, only exist when measured. Is that that field exists in a probabilistic state until it's measured. Once it's measured, then what James Clerk Maxwell describes as the wave collapses. And perceptional reality picks it up. And it comes into our senses and we perceive it as matter. So this is very esoteric 
in its nature, this understanding of the universe. But this is really how it works on that fundamental level. And science is now coming into this understanding. But for millennia, philosophers, scientists, philosophers, um, secret societies, occult, you know, occult lodges have known this. But they, they knew it in a different context. They knew it with the cultural attributes of their time. And so what I mean by that is, you know, they didn't know what an atom was. They didn't know what an electron was. They didn't know what a wave was or wave theory. So they understood it within their own language and their own understanding at that time, which was probably a little bit more primitive than us, or maybe it was more advanced. I don't know. So last night, we're talking about this whole nature of reality. And when we start understanding the nature of reality in an esoteric shape or form, there, there's some things to bring about. And, and I want to culminate to this point to where this theory that I'm about to tell you that I told people last night that I've been saying on these shows for years was just proven with that Nobel, Nobel Prize in physics. And it blew my mind today that when I saw that, I said, that's exactly what we just talked about last night. That's what I've been saying for years. And I derived this knowledge from decades of research into occult and esoteric philosophy. And I even went back to college and got a degree, okay, studying this stuff to figure out what these ancient occult orders were really talking about, what these esoteric philosophies were really about. And I discovered that it was science, that they were telling us the nature of reality. They were telling us about the soul, mind, consciousness. So, to begin, I don't remember how we got started on it last night, but let's let's go over some basics here. When, when you start getting into esoteric philosophy or symbology, what you start seeing is you see a lot of allegorical context, right? They're, they're talking about buildings. They're talking about earth and water and air and fire and ether. They're talking about stars and crowns. They're talking about the sun. They're talking about all these different symbolic representations of things. Now, there's multiple meanings to all of these symbols of what they represent. But in hermetic philosophy, there's something known as the law of correspondence. If you've ever heard the, uh, the, the axiom or the phrase, as above, so below, so below, as above, which was said to have been on the, the front of the emerald tablets on the tomb of Toth in ancient Egypt. That is known as the law of correspondence. And basically what this means is that the universe or reality is a repetitious process of itself that correlates above and below in, this, <clears throat> in the same context, <clears throat> which means that the subquantum world the quantum world, the molecular, the macro, the cosmological, all operate on the same patternized design. It's the unfoldment of the same process over and over, which means that there's not different rules on how it operates up here as per how it operates down here. So in that understanding of the law of correspondence, when we start looking at the nature of reality or these symbolic representations, this is why they could take the symbol of the sun or a planet or, you know, give a, a goddess a crown of stars or a, a flaming shield or one of these things. And this thing has multiple variations of meaning depending upon the context of what was trying to be relayed or correlated. So anytime that you're looking at 
various different philosophies or anytime you're looking at um, you know occult books or esoteric books or researching any of that spiritual science stuff you have to keep that in mind you remember i mean that's one thing that we do here at the red pill project is never believe anything anybody tells you no matter who they are what authority they possess or profess unless you can prove it with your own experiences your own volition and through your own understanding right and that goes for this information as well when you're looking at this information you have to stop that information in the in the context of which it's being relayed to you you have to then turn that literal form into allegorical form or symbolic form and then look at the multiple different layers of representation of what those symbols or that story are representing so at the very base of this we have you the human being the observer the person that's experiencing reality now last night how this discussion got started was i think we started talking about memory and um i was explaining that Memory isn't necessarily what you believe it to be. And consciousness, right now, right here, right now, consciousness, this experience that you're having right now, isn't what it's perceived to be. Let me explain. Everything within your body is electromagnetic in nature, okay? If you touch something, that is the electromagnetic forces of electrons interacting with electromagnetic forces of other electrons. Your skin has photonic and electromagnetic receptors. It's an organ. It takes in signals from your environment. Those signals come about as wind, temperature, all these types of things. When it hits your skin, it's immediately turned into electrical signaling, which is sent to your brain. Your hearing, you have a compression wave that goes by your ear. Okay, It produces a, a vibration or a resonation within these little bones that begin to move, much like a speaker, or a microphone, and they produce an electrical signal that goes into your brain. The same thing with taste, the same thing with smelling, and most obvious, the same thing with your eyes. When light comes in and hits your eyes, you have these little things called rods and cones, and they begin to align dependent upon the frequencies of light that are coming in there. When they align, basically an electrical current goes down your optic nerve to your cerebral cortex. Your cerebral cortex begins to put everything together. Now, your cerebral cortex is interesting because it's never experienced light in its existence. So the only thing that it experiences is these minute electrical discharges that are coming from your optic nerve. And so in actuality, and this is what is kind of taught in the sense of deception or the deceptive light or the great deceiver, is that your environment around you, nature, the light coming from it, is deceptive in its nature because that's not what's really happening out there. That's not the truth of reality. That's only a perceptional reality of how you derive it through your understanding, through your indoctrination, through your education, through your experiences in life, through your memory context. So when we start to understand that reality is being processed as an electromagnetic phenomena within our bodies and that our perceptual reality, what we perceive, is a conglomeration of all these things that have happened to us through our whole life that are stored within our memory banks as these various different vibrations of frequency that come up and resonate with all these other vibrations of frequency that are happening to us in the now, we begin to realize that all this stuff happens at the speed of light. Now, science will tell you that speed of light cannot be exceeded, that it's a limit in the universe. That things can go slower, but they cannot surpass the speed of light. Well, we just talked about quantum entanglement. 
something's happening there in the sense of quantum entanglement where something is happening faster than the speed of light. Now, what they're trying to say is that there's some type of funky action at a distance. They don't understand it. They still don't understand it even after this Nobel Prize. And maybe after we're done, you'll begin to understand it. So I don't believe that the speed of light is a limit. I believe that the speed of light is not the rate or acceleration at which a photon travels, but instead the rate of refresh of the field it moves through. And this is something called optimization theory that I developed out of understanding all these occult and esoteric philosophies. Um, basically, just think about it in the sense is that there's a force, thought, that moves through a field. That thought is in the form or shape of what we can call a photon. It displaces the field, <clears throat> right? And when it's gone, the field collapses. When the field displaces, you have polarization on both sides, electromagnetic force. When the force is inside of it, the perturbation is inside the field, you have the field pushing back on it equivalent to what it is displacing within the field. That's gravity. And then you have the rate of refresh of the field. That's the speed of light. And that's why when the field comes together, you have a polarization, you get a discharge, you get more photonic energy, you get an excess of energy that is released. That is the photonic energy that we perceive with our eyes. And that happens at the speed of light. So to give you a, a real world example of what this is, Go turn on your TV. Your TV has all these small little um, diodes that are lighting up, called light-emitting diodes that are light lighting up. Some of them are plasma, some of them are um, LED, right? But they're lighting up and they're turning off. They're lighting up and they're turning off. Now, here's the thing, is the signaling for the turn-on, turn-off is refreshing. On an older television, it refreshed at 60 hertz, 60 times a second. Okay, on newer televisions, this refresh is at about 120 hertz or 240 hertz. So your computer screen or your phone screen that you're looking at right now, it's refreshing 120 times a second. And every time of that refresh, every one 120th that is doing this, different signals are coming in the different pixels and lighten them up. And we perceive it as video or audio, or we perceive it as, you know, these pixels on the screen that are showing us pictures and social media and all these other things. But in, in actuality, what's happening is there are electrical signals that are being turned on and off 120 times a second. Reality does the same thing. The law of correspondence, as above, so below. Reality does the same thing. And what we call that is we can call that photons, we can call that light, we can call that energy, we can call that matter, right? It, it, it expands out on that conceptualization. Okay, so now we have this like basic understanding of how kind of our perceptual reality actually works in the sense of how these ancient philosophies viewed it. And this is how they viewed it. They talk about this. I mean, I have one right up here right now, Hermetic philosophy, where it describes this exactly what I'm saying. It, it's talking specifically about this, okay? And, but it goes into, it uses various different words to describe this meaning. Now, in, in these philosophies, they'll use the words like manifestation, right? Or, or substantial or reality. But in actuality, what they're talking about is they're talking about how you perceive and sense the universe, how the universe perceives and senses you, and how to escape the existential reality of existence beyond the deception to reach a point of attainment. Now, this goes back to that speed of light thing. 
So the speed of light is limited, right? It's a refresh rate. Well, if there's a refresh rate of reality, does that mean that our consciousness has a refresh rate? It does. Think about this. If light is coming in and basically inducing signals within all of your organ and perceptual systems, which then goes and produces your reality in your brain, okay? Firstly, you have to receive those signals. Those signals have to move through your, your neurological system to your brain. Your brain has to then process it and put it all together and then display it for you and say, hey, this is what's going on out there. There is a delay in that time sequence, which means you perceive reality, not in the now, not in the moment, but at a delayed time frame, which means that reality, as you are experiencing it right now, if you're not living in the now, if you're not living in the moment, is a memory. Your consciousness is experienced as a memory. Does that make sense? So if consciousness is experienced as a memory, then what were all these ancient philosophies and religions talking about in the sense of ex experiencing this state of enlightenment or samadhi or whatever it might have been? What if I told you that's as simple as understanding of how to get rid of that delay between you and the perception of reality? That if you could experience consciously the moment right now, that's what they've been talking about. That's exactly what they're talking about. You, you would be in that field of knowingness, of understanding, of wisdom. So how does that happen? Well, I started practicing with this a long time ago when I, when I discovered this knowledge and I started kind of like uh, really deep diving into it. And I realized, I saw a sleep deprivation thing. I'm like, wow, well, that's interesting. Sleep deprivation thing, you, you float in there and your kind of senses fade away. And then you have these mystical experiences. I know that with certain psychotropic drugs, what they do is they basically interrupt your input-output carrier signals within your dendrites, within your neurons. And so they speed up or slow down your perception of reality, as well as they regress your senses. So I started to realize that if I could limit my senses get rid of the the my my sight right for temporarily um convince my mind you know get rid of hearing eliminate all sound get my body in a state where it's completely relaxed i would obtain a point of this moment now let me ask you guys this question if you eliminated all of your senses, if you got rid of your sense of taste, smell, sight, hearing, and touch, if all of them just regressed away, what would be left? What would be left? The only thing left would be unbridled consciousness, awareness. And guess what happens when you do that? that consciousness wakes up in non-locality. It's separated from the body. It no longer identifies with the body at that point. 
it becomes non-local. It becomes non-local because think about this, is you have your rational mind that operates within the existential reality or within this, this perceptual reality, okay? But if you start closing your eyes and you go into hypnagogia and you start going to sleep, what takes over? Your imagination, right? Your imagination takes over. Now, this is very interesting because when we're trying to go to sleep or we're meditating, what's really happening is we're recessing our senses. We're closing our eyes. We're in a quiet place. Our, our hearing is shut off. Our body is relaxed. Our breathing is controlled. And when that happens, our imagination takes over. And our imagination can be completely unhinged and just go off in tangents. And this is what Buddhist meditation and so forth is about. It's about focusing that imagination towards the goal or the desire or whatever that is that you are wishing to understand, right? And so some people, they, they can't focus that imagination. It's too powerful. But if you learn to focus that meditation, what's really happening is you're beginning to exist in that moment of now, that, mo that, that single moment of existence. Because in honesty, there's nothing that exists except for now. It's the only thing that truly does exist. And we just experience it in a linear time fashion. And so if you were to be in non-local consciousness because you got rid of all your senses, what state is your mind in? Your mind is in the state of imagination. And it's interesting because guess what happens at this point? Is reality starts to manifest to what your imagination is thinking. As in it reacts directly to thought with no filter or veil or mechanism between it. There's a great Star Trek episode out there, Next Generation. I think it's like in the fifth or sixth season. Fourth or fifth season, sorry. And uh, they bring this alien on board to fix the, uh, um, not the fix, but to test out their propulsion system. He's upgrading all the uh, propulsion systems on all the, uh, all the fleet, the Starfleet. And he starts developing a relationship with, uh, um, oh man, I'm forgetting his name. <laughs> Will Wheaton, Will Wheaton. And um, he's like trying to show off the Will Wheaton and he takes them like a hundred million light years away from their position, which would take them 30 years to get back to where they were before with their current propulsion model. And he's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry I messed up. And then he tries to do it again, but he's so drained because what was actually happening is he wasn't upgrading the propulsion system. He was using his consciousness to jump them further and further in space, or he was using his consciousness to transfer them faster through space. And he ends up taking them to the edge of the universe. And what actually happens is that it, it is a spot or a place of unpredictability. It is completely probabilistic, where anything you think becomes manifest. And what I want you to understand about this, and this is understood in various occult and esoteric sciences, this is known as the veil, all right, is that there's this filter of reality that exists between you and your environment and reality itself, okay? This filter is your senses. It's your body. It's the finite body that you exist in, that your spirit is inhabiting. And when you remove those filters, consciousness or reality itself 
shows you its true source, shows you its true understanding. And that is of mind, of consciousness, of thought. And so when I saw this Nobel Prize, and they come out and understand that, hey, if it's not observed, it exists in a probabilistic state. And there is no determination of what that state is until it's observed. This tells you specifically, and observed here is, is equivalent to measured. This tells you specifically that our reality is that of thought, mind, and consciousness, which is the underlining fundamental principles of what it is. Because the only thing that can exist in an improbabilistic form is thought. The only thing that can create something from nothing is mind. I got a few things, and I'll, I'll read this one right here. Under and back of the universe of time, space, and change is ever to be found the substantial reality, the fundamental truth. Substance means that which underlies all outward manifestations, the essence, the essential reality, the thing in itself. Substantial means actually existing, being the essential element, being real. Reality means the state of being real, true, enduring, valid, fixed, permanent, actual. Under and behind all outward appearances or manifestations, there must always be a substantial reality. This is the law. Man, considering the universe, of which he is a unit, sees nothing but change in matter, forces, and mental states. He sees that nothing really is, but that everything is becoming and changing. Nothing stands still. Everything is being born, growing, dying. The very instant a thing reaches its height, it begins to decline. The law of rhythm is in constant operation. There is no reality, enduring quality fixity, or substantiality in anything. Nothing is permanent but change. He sees all these things evolving from other things. The resolving into things. The constant action and reaction. Inflow and outflow. Building up and tearing down. Creation and destruction. Birth, growth, and death. Nothing endures but change. And if he be a thinking man, he realizes that all these changing things must be put but outward appearances or manifestations of some underlying power, some substantial reality. All thinkers in all lands and all times have assumed the necessity for postulating the existence of the substantial reality. All philosophies worthy of the name have been based upon this thought. Men have given to the substantial reality many names. Some have called it the term deity under many titles. Others have called it the infinite or eternal energy. Others have tried to call it matter, but all have acknowledged its existence. It is self-evident. It needs no argument. So this is coming from Hermetic philosophy. Now, the Hermetic name for this is called the all, the all which this term we consider the most comprehensive of many of the terms applied by which man has given this, this name to. The reason it's given the all is because it's totality, it's absolutism. And more about this. The Hermetis, Hermeticists believe and teach that the all in itself 
is and must be ever unknowable. They regard all the theories, guesses, and speculations of the theologians and metaphysicians regarding the inner nature of the all as but childish efforts of mortal minds to grasp the secret of the infinite. Such efforts have always failed and will always fail from the very nature of the task one pursuing such inquiries travels around and around in the labyrinth of thought until he is lost to the sane reasoning, action, or conduct and is utterly unfitted for the work of life. He is like the squirrel which frantically runs around around the circling treadmill wheel of his cage, traveling ever and yet reaching nowhere at the end, a prisoner still, and standing just where he started. And still more presumptuous are those who attempt to ascribe the all with personality, qualities, properties, characteristics, attributes of themselves, ascribing to the all the human emotions, feelings, and characteristics, even down to the pettiest qualities of mankind, such as jealousy, susceptibility, to flattery and praise, desire for offerings and worship, and all the other survivals from the days of childhood of the race. Such ideas are not worthy of grown men and women and are rapidly being discarded. So, jump in here again. Between philosophy and metaphysics and religion, to us, means that the institutional realization of the existence of the all and one's relationship to it. Well, theology means attempts of men to ascribe personality, qualities, and characteristics to it. Their theories regarding its affairs, wills, desires, plans, designs, and their assumptions of the office of middlemen between the all and the people. Philosophy to us means the inquiry after knowledge of things knowable and thinkable, while metaphysics means the attempt to carry the inquiry over and beyond the boundaries and into regions unknowable and unthinkable, and with the same tendency as that to theology. And consequently, both religion and philosophy mean to us things having roots in reality, while theology and metaphysics seem like broken reeds, rooted in the quicksands of ignorance and affording naught but the most insecure support for the mind or soul of man. We do not insist upon our students accepting these definitions. We mention them merely to show our position. Okay. That which is the fundamental truth, the substantial reality, is beyond true naming, but the wise men call it the all. In the essence, the all is unknowable, but the report of reason must be hospitality. Uh, <laughs> hospi I can't say that word. Never mind. Uh, so this is what I want to bring about. These are the attributes of what the Hermetic philosophy calls the all. And this is what we're talking about in the sense of that moment of time, the, 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 the point of, of, of unbridled consciousness as it enters non-locality. The all must be all that really is. There can be nothing existing outside the all, else the all would not be the all. The all must be infinite. For there is nothing else to define, confine, bound, limit, or restrict the all. It must be infinite in time or eternal. It must have always continuously existed. For there is nothing else to have created it. And something can never evolve from nothing. And if it had ever not been, even for a moment, it would not be now. It must continuously exist forever. For there is nothing to destroy it. It can never be not be. Even for a moment. Because something can never become nothing. It must be infinite in space. It must be everywhere, for there is no place outside the all. It cannot be otherwise than continuous in space without break, cessation, separation, or interruption, for there is nothing to break, separate, or interrupt its continuity, and nothing with which to fill in the gaps. It must be infinite in power or absolute. 
where there's nothing to limit, restrict, restrain, confine, disrupt, or condition it. It is subject to no other power, for there is no other power. The all must be immutable, or not subject to change in its real nature. For there is nothing to work changes upon it, nothing into which it could change, nor from which it could have changed. It cannot be added to, nor subtracted from, increased or diminished, nor become greater or lesser in any respect whatsoever. It must have always been, and must always remain, just what it is now, the all. There has never been, it is now, um, it is not now, and never will be anything else into which it can change. So, this is where it gets interesting. The all being infinite, absolute, eternal, and unchangeable, it must follow that anything finite, changeable, fleeting, and conditioned cannot be the all, and there is nothing outside of the all. In reality, then, any and all such finite things must be nothing in reality. Now, do not become befogged or frightened. We are not trying to lead you into Christian science under the field of cover of hermetic philosophy. There is reconsolidation of the apparently contradictory state of affairs. We see around us that which is called matter, which forms the physical foundations of all forms. Is the all merely matter? Not at all. Matter cannot manifest life or mind. And as life and mind are manifested in the universe, the all cannot be matter, for nothing rises higher than its own source. Nothing is ever manifested in effect that is not its cause. Nothing is evolved as a consequent that is not involved as an antecedent. And then modern science informs us that there is really no such thing as matter, that what we call matter is merely interrupted energy or force, that is, energy or force at a very low rate of vibration. As a recent writer said, matter has melted into mystery. Even material science has abandoned the theory of matter and now rests on the basis of energy, of which, by the way, scientific communities have yet to define what energy is. That is the all mere energy or force not energy or force as materialists use the terms, where their energy and force are blind, mechanical things devoid of life or mind. Life and mind can never evolve from blind energy or force, for the reason given a moment ago. Nothing can rise higher than its source. Nothing is evolved unless it's involved. Nothing manifests in the effect unless it is the cause. And so the all cannot be mere energy or force, for if it were, then there would be no such things as life and mind in existence. And we know better than that, for we are alive and using mind to consider the very question. And so, are those to claim energy or force is everything? What is there then that's higher than matter and energy that we know to be existent in the universe? Now think about this. Because what's happening here is the author is taking us through this, this understanding of logic, of what God, or the, the existential reality has to be, what it can't be, and what it has to be. And see, nothing can rise higher than its creator, which means that the highest state of our evolution is the state of existence of the creator in its eternal being. So what is there then higher than matter and energy that we know to be existent in the universe? Life and mind. Life and mind in all their varying degrees of unfoldment. Do you mean to tell us that the all is life and mind? Eh, yes and no. Not life and mind as we know it. The answer is it's a living mind. As far above that which mortals know by those words, as life and mind are higher than mechanical forces or matter. 
infinite living mind as compared to the finite life and mind. We mean that which the illumined souls mean when they irreverently pronounce the word spirit. So, hermetic philosophy basically bases this understanding of God, what they call spirit, as this infinite living mind that is eternal, that is totality and absolutism. Right? Now, you have a mind and consciousness. Excuse me. How do you create in reality? You can use your hands, right? You have the physical aspect of that. But what happens before any of that? It's all created in here. It's the thing that creates something out of nothing. Thought. Mind. And now we're understanding that the universe exists in this probabilistic form. That the only time that it takes shape or form in distance, in space, and time is when a conscious observer goes in there and measures it. And so this Nobel Prize discovery, this experimentation that happened here, is proving, in my opinion, hermetic philosophy. It's proving everything that we've said is that there's this, this reality that exists beyond the visual, perceptional reality. And it's conscious, it's mind, it's thought. It's cre the creative and destructive forces of the ultimate duality. It's absolute, it's unknowable. But just because it's unknowable doesn't mean it's, you can't experience it. Now, many people have experienced this, this, this field or this consciousness, whatever it is, this thought, this mind. The problem is, is that they're so overwhelmed when they come back they don't have the words to describe it. I, I did a meditation many years ago where I was, one second. I did a meditation many years ago where I kind of did everything that I was just talking about. I took, oops, sorry, my phone's recorded me. Don't want my phone to record me. Where I eliminated all my various senses. And I tried to get into a non-local state. Well, I achieved this non-local state. And what you experience when you're there is this very low, beautiful, it's kind of like a hum, but it's a song. It's a music. It's a symphony. There's no words in the human language within the conceptualization of your mind to even describe the music. Even if you want to call it, I'm just going to relate it to music. There's nothing to describe what it was. But it's like this low hum. And it, it's peaceful. It's loving. It, it's warmth. And then you're in this state. And I, I believe that the state is manifested through your own thoughts. So you project this controlled, focused state of what you perceive it to be within your conscious state. And uh, you just get this feeling when you're there that everything is known, that, that there are, you know, there are no questions to ask. And this was a big epiphany for me because when you get there and you're, you're in this state and you're realizing that, you know, you're in this state and you're, you're trying not to, you know, go back into your body. You're trying not to wake up. You're trying to stay non-local. 
and, and it's exciting. It, it, it's it's not scary at all. And you're not worried about going back. You you really want to stay there. I, I can't even describe the environment, but you have this knowing, like you're connected to something and all the information inherent in the universe is at your fingertips. It's right there. And it's almost as if you know everything. But here's the problem. And this actually happened to me. Is since you're in the state of knowing everything, of understanding everything, of, of the state of knowingness, there's, there's no questions to ask. See, the reason we discover things and create things is because we have questions that arise from the unfoldment of reality. But in this state of existence or being, everything is known. And so therefore, there's no question to ask. And since there's no question to ask, you, you tend to be much like Socrates. Is that the one thing that I know for sure is that I know nothing. And he was spot on right because he had experienced this state before. See, when you get there and you're in this understanding of everything, you know everything, and it, there's no questions to ask, you realize you know nothing. And you realize the primal state of existence, of unbridled consciousness, of, of the creator, the absolute, is it knows everything. It is everything. There's nothing outside of it, of which it means has no questions to ask. So then you ask, what are we? We are an extension of that. We are a cell within that system, a cog within that wheel that gets to ask the questions, that gets to go out there and gather the knowledge and understanding of what it is. And we get to feed it back into the system. And as we do, the system grows and evolves and expands. How can it grow, evolve, and expand if it's everything? It's not that system. It's the, the lesser system of you and me. The fulfillment of the journey, the experience. You know, I tend to think of like creation. And uh, I don't think creation ever happened. See, if you go back through Hermetic philosophy, you begin to understand that um, there was never a beginning. There can't be. If there is a beginning, that means it must have come from something. If it came from something, there must be something outside of, of, of all of it. That doesn't make much sense, does it? And I use a, uh, a paradox, a logical paradox for this. Um, basically, how do you define nothing? You can't. The moment you define nothing, it becomes something. So that means that nothing has never existed. If nothing has never existed, that means that everything has always existed and will continue to always exist. It's the reason why everything does exist right now. So let me evolve on this a little bit. So as you kind of wrap your mind around all these different concepts that I've put out there tonight, and I know this is kind of a different show and I understand that. Some people like it, some people don't. That's okay. This is just me. This is who I am deep down inside of my soul. And see, one thing that I realized in studying all these things is that every philosophy, every religion, 
Every doctrine out there always said, look inside. Where did Jesus say the kingdom of heaven was? Within. He said that if you wanted to, if you wanted to be with God, seek first the kingdom of heaven. Within. And so I realized that I had to have a relationship with that inner spirit, that inner soul of myself. In, in Latin, at the, uh, the temple of uh, the oracle at Delphi, above this, they had this, uh, this sign that read temetnosius or ipsumtenosius, however you want to pronounce it in Latin, um, which meant know thyself or discover thyself. Now, this is interesting because many people don't truly understand what that means. Know thyself. Okay, I, I like the color blue, sometimes green, like pizza. It's not what it means. It means that you have to go through various dark nights of the soul. You have to dig within yourself into the beyond the mental faculties of understanding. You have to expand your mind beyond the perceptual and conceptual understanding of reality. You have to dig deep inside yourself and find that spark of light. You have to find that speed and seed and help it grow. Now, this is interesting because we have various parts of our body that are unseen, that kind of exist in an emergent state, our emotional body, our mental body, our physical body, our spiritual body. And they all exist at various different levels of development, right? We all have different emotional intelligence, different levels of emotional development. We all have different levels of physical development, mental development, and spiritual development. And see, those four pillars right there, how you know, how well you know yourself on those levels begins to open up how well you know yourself on that inner level. And see, this is the beautiful thing because you can't know anybody. You can't. You, you are the loneliest person in the world because you are stuck within your own mind. You can talk to people, you can communicate, you can have relationships, but you are stuck within your own mind. You live a lonely life, we all do completely unique unto yourself. And see, this is the beauty of it though, is that when you communicate with someone or you develop a relationship with someone, you can't get in their brain and understand their thoughts and their, their mind or, or their feelings or anything of that nature. What happens is, is there's an exchange of energy between two people. And that exchange of energy says, hey, I, I know myself this well, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically, and this is the level at which I know myself, and this is what I'm expressing to you in the sense of what I'm trying to say. And that person receives it, and then it starts aligning with how well they know themselves on those levels. And their level of understanding of that person is drawn from that, that dynamic of the relationship of how well those two know each other, or how, how well those two know, know themselves. And so you can only know somebody else as well as you know yourself. Now, as beautiful as that might sound, the same thing goes for the absolute, for God. If you have a relationship of, with God, you can only know God as well as you know yourself. So this is why the ancient philosophers said, know thyself. Because the only way that you can understand anybody else or even have a relationship with God is to develop that relationship with yourself, is to know yourself, to, to develop those parts of yourself 
to learn about that inner spark of fire within you. And to me, that's kind of like the, the ultimate goal of reality is to expand that knowledge base. I always say here that Max Egan would say that we're, we're simply remembering, but I'd always say here that evolution comes about from learning what you did not know that you did not know, these small little epiphanies within life. And if you look at all technological progress, if you look at the evolution or the historical evolution as it's told by man, you know, that's how this happened, is when we learned something we did not know that we did not know, we had massive leaps within technology, within spirituality, within humanity. And see, the same thing goes with knowing ourselves. Is the deeper you go into knowing and understanding yourself, the more that gets unlocked of who and what you truly are. Or why you are. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? That something as simple as learning who you are can expand on that. <laughs> so I know I put a lot of information out there, guys. I hope that was enough for you. Um, we're going to go to After Dark here in about one hour. So at 9.30 Mountain Time. Um, 11.30 Eastern time, we're going to fringe after dark. We're going to continue this conversation. We're going to bring everybody in on Zoom. Um, and so tonight, we're just going to do Zoom. So if you want to join in, you have to be a member of the socialredpill.com. You don't need any subscriptions tonight or anything like that. You can be a free member. Just go join socialredpill.com. Sign up. Jump in there. I'll be putting a link out in a little bit. And then... Um, I'll put up the Zoom link and we're going to do Fringe After Dark specifically on the Zoom tonight because I want to inter interact with everybody. I want to talk to everybody about these things. I think these are profound ideas and concepts. So everybody that wants to join in there, go to socialredpill.com. The link will be out in about, eh, about 40 minutes from now. Um, not 40. Yeah, about 40 minutes from now. We're about 10 minutes before 9.30 my time, 11.30 Eastern time. And uh, we can all jump in there for Fringe After Dark and have a good night and uh, hang out some more. So I hope you guys all had a great night. Uh, I hope this was a good show. And, and I think we needed this. We all need some spiritual healing, right? This is a spiritual warfare and it, and it helps to understand who and what we really are and what is really happening in the, in the nature of reality. So much love, guys. Respect. God bless you. Take care. We'll see you guys next time.